Nar Wimble and the boy huddled together in the flickering light of the old man's unending candle, conversing in hushed tones. The elderly man spoke with the quiet eloquence of a sage as he wove with his tongue the tale of what had occurred after the boy fled to safety. Frumple relayed the vision of Trafalgar's flight to the curious man's mind such that up to the moment the lad spilled inside the shadow of the skull cave, it was as if Narwimble were by his side. Yet, in the same moment, he found the candle among his things and made it to flame. Even as the sky wept from swollen black clouds, the candle would not cease. The old man then explained the harrowing fact that all the while he borrowed Frumple's eyes, he could not use his own, forcing him to move about on the grassy plateau blindly. His feet listened to the grass through the leather wrapped about them, and he followed wherever the blades sent him. As they bent, so did he. Not long after, Narwimble then chanced upon a large ground pig known to him as Sad Sarni. They spoke using the chit, clicks, and squeals native to those rodents living nearby. Sarni told the old man with excessive despair of all manner of things, eventually conveying that dark hordes were forming in pockets all about the lands for many hundred of miles. The animal described with horrid detail the desiccation of the natural world, living things here and there having withered and turned evil. Eyesight restored, the petite old man made his way up the hill where Frumple returned to him and sat on his back, nipping at his ears. Trafalgar sat and listened with wonder while terror made stitches in his belly. When the old man took a deep breath and became silent, the boy then told his own tale of how he had met the dread Ick man, who he now considered among his friends. Narwimble nodded and formed a contemplative frown with his lips, having closed his eyes. Indeed, I know the Ick man well. He is only to be feared by the foul of heart and those naughty children who do not mind their elders. Trafalgar swallowed guiltily, running quickly through the extensive catalog of his past failures. But why is he bound to these caverns, tortured by such a curse? asked the boy. We will find out together, good Trafalgar, when all of this is over. Assuming we survive. Old friend, your form of optimism is cryptic and brings me little inspiration. Why can adults not keep such thoughts to themselves? I'm barely 12 years old and hardly equipped to face doubt objectively. May the gods see you bent and bitter as I. Now shush and listen. When the rain stops and the sun sets, you must travel with our ally Frumful toward the north. You may arrive at the eaves of Sanda before the storm returns. Do not speak to anyone, but if you must, 
you are no more than a peasant farm boy looking for your grandfather. You do not have a name, but if you are forced, you are Sorrel, son of Sorcel, son of Quid. Trafalgar was filled with disappointed surprise, having just been reunited with the sage, and he was more than a little frightened. I don't understand. Why should we part again? Why would I be going to be among the Xanthans? Difficult child, whom I love tenderly, the insane Warlick will logically have presumed that you will have returned to the castle in terror. He will watch for you in your home and on the paths which lead there. To escape to where you are unsafe is where you will be safest. Myself, I must go in secrecy to survey the evil Warlock's lair. For I would do as my enemy does. Chapter 35, paragraph 14 of our credo was you are supposed to have memorized. Frumpful, who will once again act as my eyes, shall go with you. Whatever worries dwell within you, breed them such that you think no thought but worry. Speed your heart such that you are unable to sleep. Tell yourself that there is no hope. Only then will you be alert to the dangers which surround you. This is how warriors of your promise relax. Do you understand? Trafalgar, who felt as if he had just been given an unsweetened chocolate, visualized himself aging 20 years in an instant. He grieved for the comfort of his quilted blankets and their duck-down stuffing. If he could sleep, perhaps he could resume the dream of youth, venturing not to the eaves of Xanda, but instead to his warm, dry playroom to stack colored blocks and knock them down. The more he imagined it, the further away it seemed, and the more it pained him. With all of this, he forgot the pain in his arm, which had faded away when his mind was elsewhere. With reluctance, he responded to his teacher, I do, I understand. It was a particularly dark evening. The air smelled exquisite to the lad who savored it as he would a rare treat. Frumpful was in the sky, invisible to Trafalgar, who would just have to trust he was not alone. Narwimble had gone to the west and was now invisible to the child as well. He told himself they would meet again. After all, what would he do without the old man? It's not like I have a strategy, do I? I really must become less oblivious, he told himself. I can't be led around like a mule forever. Not if I am to defeat Warler. But the lad stunned himself into silence, saying the evil one's name aloud and alone in the dark of night was somehow sobering. He felt like a rabbit being stalked. The hair stood up on the back of his neck, 
Saying nothing, but filled with swirling thoughts, he moves slowly, cautiously, and yet with urgency northward. He had been taught to find the directions using the stars, but the clouds blocked their light out. Instead, he did his best to find landmarks. He was sure he was not traveling in a straight line, but perhaps that was for the best. It became cold and the cold seemed to creep. He did not realize he could sweat and shiver at the same time, but he found himself doing both nonetheless. When he came upon a copse of cedars with dry needles around their trunks, Trafalgar sat down and undid the laces of his leather boots. His left foot ached in its arch and both of his legs throbbed. I am hungry, he told himself, and he tried to remember if Narwimble had said anything against having something to eat. The child had two small pieces of jerky among his things, and while he knew he might need them later, he also acknowledged that he would need more than just that eventually. With which reasoning he decided to go ahead and eat them. I will chew them slowly so that they last, he thought to himself. But they were both eaten rather swiftly and he remained hungry. He had nothing to drink but he would find water in the morning when the sun returned, he told himself. He was lacing his boots and rising to continue his journey when he heard what he thought was crying. Yes, he was sure of it. Goosebumps rose up like welts all over his body and he felt his heart ramp up. With alert precision, he tilted his head and drew a picture with his imagination of the geography around him. A map which he followed to the origin of the crying. It was there that he snuck up upon a little girl. She wore a nightgown common in style to the children of his generation. Forgetting or willfully abandoning the instruction Narwimble left with him, the boy spoke. Little girl, do not be afraid. I am sorry to startle you, but I heard you crying and I am here now. The girl stopped crying abruptly and turned to Trafalgar's direction, searching for him in the darkness. He moved calmly and slowly closer to her, half expecting her to transform into something horrendous which might tear him into pieces and consume him. But she remained but a little girl. Among the reasons she did not respond, he suspected, was both shyness and that she was afraid. But she might not have learned yet to speak, either. He held up a hand to indicate he was not a foe or to be feared and he kneeled down to her level. Are you yet learned to converse, he asked. Me lost, she said. Not eat me, please. Eat you, he responded almost laughing. He did not want the girl to know that he was a hypocrite who was thinking the same thing about her. He was profoundly aware that his cowardice while facing with a harmless child was not compatible with defeating the witch mage Warler. I am not yet hungry enough to eat the likes of you, he said. You do not appear very filling after all. Together he and the girl found enough space for a quiet chuckle. From where have you come? I will help you return to safety. 
coma. She said, which she figured the girl to mean the village of Komar. I myself am headed to the eaves of Xander. If I recall correctly, Komar is not far from River Tun. Come, lift yourself up and let us begin. He held the girl's hand as they traveled, and at times he even carried her for short distances. He was concerned the child would make a ruckus, but she was no louder than he himself was. He found himself becoming tired, but he remembered Narwimble and kept moving. The clouds parted briefly, allowing swaths of moonlight to reveal the terrain before the pair. Twinkling in the distance was River Tun, toward which Trafalgar steered his new friend. What is your name? he asked her. Pemmy. Hello, Pemmy. I am Dra... I'm Sorrel, son of Sorcel. I, uh, was... I am looking for my grandpa. I hope to find him among the Zandans. Uh-huh, Pemmy replied. He wondered if she was agreeing with him or calling his bluff. He told himself the child was merely disinterested, which gave him some relief. It had begun to rain again and the clouds had re-hidden the moon, but the night was passing. Before the sun had properly risen, Trafalgar found himself able to see the shapes of trees and rocks among his path. Soon enough, small huts could be seen along the river, and there were fishing gear laid out in small boats. The long paddles were stuck in the mud like eerie totems. The girl moved faster as they at last came upon the village of Komar. She sprinted toward a small dwelling and ran pushed through the door. There was some commotion within, after which two men, one old and one young, and the old man's wife came out to greet Trafalgar. Their faces were filled with questions and concern. What purpose do you have with rattle upon my door at this obscene hour, lad? asked the old man. Whatever do you mean, ma'am? Trafalgar asked with confusion. Have you not seen young Pemmy, who I have brought home to you? She was lost in the woods, but she is safe now. Why do you say that? hissed the old woman. What did he say, Pell? The woman's eyes were opened wide. She was filled with terror. Explain yourself. Why are you? Who are you? Why do you mock us? Trafalgar ran toward the dwelling, calling out, Pemmy! But the two men held him back. But I held her hand. I heard her crying. Go inside and look for yourselves. My sister been dead some two decades, lad. Depart before I strangle the life for you. The old woman was crying now. Neighbors came out from their homes and stood looking with concern. Astonished, Trafalgar tried to make sense of the situation. He looked around for the girl but did not see her anywhere. However, he felt something in his pocket and pulled it out for all to see. Herberette! cried the old woman. 
God's bee, explained the old man. Held above his head, clutched in his fist, was a wooden barrette, carved in the appearance of a butterfly and painted with once bright colors which were now faded and faint in early morning shadow. The old woman then grabbed up Drafalgar and hugged him to her. The neighbors came over, and all of them were speaking to each other in whispers filled with wonder. She was warned that when my sister went taken, said the younger man. This lad done found her barrette, he told the crowd. The old woman then spoke. No, Pem's spirit found him. He brought a ghost home. I feel it. Tis true, I feel it too, said the old man. Thank you, child. The old man was crying. Thank you. Our daughter is free now to pass on. And we are free to let her go. The crowd came and put their hands upon Trafalgar. The boy was overcome with emotion and began to cry himself. The family brought him inside and he fell asleep despite himself. When he woke, there was a fire in the hearth and a gray-haired woman wearing religious garb sat watching him. She nodded to him. Good evening, she said. The lad and the family ate together and together they said a prayer for young Pemmy. Trafalgar drew a map so that the family could search for their daughter's remains, and when it was time for him to go, the priestess handed him a brass oil lamp. It was worn with a deep patina. This magical lamp, the only item of precious value among us, is our village's gift to you. May it serve you well.